You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Andy Katz is a college basketball analyst for the Big Ten Network and a correspondent for the NCAA. He's probably best known as a senior college basketball writer for ESPN and as a regular analyst on College Game Night. Before joining ESPN in 2000, he covered college basketball for newspapers in Milwaukee, Albuquerque, and Fresno. He also worked with my friend Joe Lenardi on the Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook, which helped launch Bracketology. His stories about college basketball, either in print or on TV, are must-read and must-watch. Andy, welcome to Sports Connections. Uh, thank you, Dave, for having me. All right, so let's start with uh, your your how your career got started. Were you always a college basketball fan, or is that just kind of how your career developed? Um. Yeah, I, I would say for sure. Um, I grew up in the Boston area. My dad worked for Boston College, went to BC basketball camp and other camps around the Boston area in the 80s. Um, and so, yes, that was my passion. I wanted to play it. I obviously was not good enough. Um, and uh, that was where I mean, because I grew up you know, when the Big East was really becoming the Big East. Yeah. yeah. In the mid 80s. Um, so that sort of was my um, launching pad into falling for, for college basketball. Um, did I think it was going to be my, you know, the thrust of my career? No. Um, you know, because I, when I went to Wisconsin, um, that people forget. I mean, for decades, Wisconsin really struggled. And mm-hmm. I was there when they were still struggling. So, uh, I mean, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, they owned Wisconsin the Yoder years. And so uh, it was great to be covering big 10 basketball then, but not the home team, the home team really struggled, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, sort of dominate the majority of my adult life. What other sports did you like to, to cover, watch, play that type, that type of thing? Uh, I mean, I've covered them all in some form or fashion. I mean, when I was in Fresno, we used to do Niners and Raiders games. Uh, I did college football for a while, uh, certainly in covering colleges. Um, you know, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Uh, so, but I, you know, really have not covered baseball. Obviously I've covered okay. the NBA. I covered a little of the, uh, of college hockey, a little NHL. Um, if there's a second favorite sport for me, it's tennis. Uh, really? I, you know, love playing it, love watching it, love going to the events. Um, and so that's sort of been my parallel life of college basketball slash NBA and then the tennis world. You mentioned that, that you enjoy, enjoy tennis, but your, your background, uh, with the development of the big East is what really drew you. What else about the sport draws you in on a regular basis? You know, I, I still, well, I love the final four. I've covered every one since 1992 um and so knowing that sort of my life calendar works around you know building up to that and then i know there's a downward you know uh rest period if you will before i build back up uh and that's sort of just been my life cycle of the the calendar year yeah uh and i I just love the atmosphere um you know i don't think that the nba uh you know, delivers it on a game by game basis. Um, 
you know, I'm not saying obviously a directional school, not a conference game, but for the most part, conference games, tournament, you know, they don't disappoint. And uh, I still get a thrill out of being in these great environments, whether it's, you know, at Kansas, Indiana, Duke, Carolina, you name it. Um, I thoroughly enjoy being in those moments, being on television in those moments. Uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to cover a lot of great, uh, in a lot of great venues, great games, um, seen some pretty remarkable uh, buzzer beaters and so on. Uh, so, yeah, I've been feeling pretty privileged that I've had the courtside seat or stood there or done post-game interviews in those environments. <clears throat> and you, that's a really good segue into, <clears throat> excuse me, into my next question. Um, and this pains me to say as a, as a K-State grad, but um, there, there is no, in my opinion, there's no better venue in college basketball, maybe in all of sports, as Allen Fieldhouse. And I've been to the Dean Dome and I've been to Cameron and I've been to Pauley Pavilion and places like that. What's your favorite venue to broadcast games from? Yeah, I would say it is Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, that that's number one um, because of the, I don't know, just the sound that, uh, you know, mm. the rock chalk Jayhawk just sort of gets in your head. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it haunts you, by the way. But. Yeah, just everything about it, I think, <laughs> makes it um, the best venue in college basketball. But there's a there's a there's quite a top 10 list. And, you know, there's a couple that I've actually still never been to, believe it or not. Um, the two uh, that for whatever reason, I've seen these teams on the road and I've just never been assigned home. So on my bucket list, I still need to get to Hilton for Iowa State mm. and Bud Walton for Arkansas. So yeah. believe it or not, those are two great venues. They're probably the only two, I would say, of the top 15 that I've never been to. <clears throat> Who are some of your favorite coaches to cover? Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I've been, again, privileged uh, in my career to cover a ton of Hall of Famers. Um you know, from back in the early nineties to Don Haskins, the late Don Haskins, mm -hmm. um, you know, interesting covering night. Um, you know, I loved <laughs> talking to the late Lou Henson, Gene Cady. I mean, there were so many iconic figures in the big 10 in that era. Um, I love one of my favorite stories that I ever did actually was I went back to El Paso with Nolan Richardson and loved going back in the barrio with him and really, you know, seeing where he came from yeah. and everything he's accomplished. And so, I mean, he's definitely up there as, you know, one of the great, I mean, I'm old enough and was fortunate enough, you know, that I had a couple of conversations with John Wooden um, and, you know, view that as a privilege uh, that, that I was able to do that in my lifetime. Um, you know, obviously, in the current era, I mean, just retiring, always had a great relationship with Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski and Jay Wright. Um, you know, again, Tom Izzo has never changed. I yeah. remember covering Michigan State when they played in New Mexico. He was an assistant to Judd Heathcote. Um, and he is the same person, you know, 25 years later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, um, I'll tell you another one that, my opinion changed uh, as he got older and I got older um, because I was intimidated like everyone else with big John and, you know, didn't really 
what I wasn't as national then, obviously. And so I didn't have that connection, that platform. But as he got older, I got to interview him and be around him more. And, um, you know, really enjoyed those conversations when he was retired, when he was working yeah. for Westwood One. Um, you know, I would talk to him and, and uh, you know, and talk basketball with him. And, um, and then, you know, I had a great relationship and uh, I considered him a dear friend. Um, uh, and we talked for hours, hours and hours. Uh, and that was Rick Majerus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because when I was covering the, the WAC, uh, that's when I got to know him in the 90s. And uh, we used to, and then, of course, then he worked for ESPN when I was at ESPN. Uh, and then he went back to coaching at St. Louis. And um, so I, I really just thoroughly enjoyed our conversations about basketball, about life. And, you know, I do miss him. I mean, we talked quite a bit. I, you mentioned some really great characters. I had an opportunity. I worked for the NCAA in the publications department from 90 to 92. And in 1991, I did a, a feature in the NCAA news on 100th anniversary of basketball <clears throat> and the changes that had happened through the years. And I got to interview Mr. Iba. I got to interview, and I know Coach Wooden from uh, one of my early books was on UCLA basketball. So he and I became very close friends. I, I got to interview Jack Gardner, who was the first coach to lead two different teams to the final four, uh, K-State and Utah. Um, <clears throat> I can't even remember who, oh, Ray Meyer, talk to Ray Meyer. Yep. Just, talking to those, talking to those guys, I felt like I was in, you know, one of these things is not like the other <laughs> and definitely a privilege um, to, to, you know, to get to know those people. So would you rather cover a very successful coach whose program has no drama or a coach on a hot seat with drama always surrounding his program? Well, I, I mean, I've experienced that. Um, yeah, both. I, at, this, at this point in my life, I would take uh, the former. Uh, <laughs> when I was younger, certainly the latter. Um, he wasn't on the hot seat, but there was drama every day when I covered Tark at Fresno State. And, um, you know, that was stressful. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of stress uh, for me um, because I constantly felt the pressure uh, to break news to, um, because there was always something going on. You didn't know, was it against the NCAA? Was it, you know, was something happening criminal? Like you didn't, there was a yeah. lot of characters around <laughs> and, um, uh, I would definitely look back in my time as those four years were probably the most stressed I've had, uh, as a, as a beat writer. <clears throat> um, you talk about your early days. You you worked with Joe Lenardi, <clears throat> as we mentioned, with the Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook, which really forced bracketology to happen. Talk about your time working with Joe and how much fun was that? Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe and I worked together quite a bit in the early 90s. And I, you know, I really was like the West Coast person because I was living in Albuquerque and then Fresno. and I used to do, you know, previews for the WAC, the WCC, the Pac-12 or Pac-10 back then, um, you know, the Big Sky, the Big West, uh, all those leagues and churning out like 48 team previews. And that was my summer and into yeah. the you know early fall. I mean, I just used to sit at the kitchen table and grind those out. 
and and Joe and and Chris Dorch, because um, remember it was Chris Wallace that originated the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who ended up going on to be a GM of the Celtics and then the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of long hours, but that's where people forget. You know, Joe had that life before bracketology, all while being a full-time employee in the communications department for the university at St. Joseph's, not just the athletic department, the whole university. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know, I, I helped Joe with his book um, on bracketology. I was his, his ghostwriter and he, I think we spent more time on, you know, we spent a lot of time on a lot of different things. We spent more time on blue ribbon basketball yearbook looking back fondly than we did a lot of the stuff. He just talked about, you know, his, his boss at St. Joe's would, you know, come in and say, so you guys got a busy weekend. He would, I mean, he just went on and on about how much fun, stressful, but how much fun those, those days were. How did you get connected with ESPN? Cause obviously that helped your career take off. Well, I mean, that was back in, I was, I did, I was a freelancer for them in the mid nineties. Okay. Um, because when I started in 99, uh, their only sports specific reporters were uh, Chris Mortensen and John Clayton for the NFL, Peter Gammons for baseball and David Aldridge for the NBA. So they didn't have that back then. And then I was doing a notes column for what was then ESPN Sports Zone, based out of Seattle. And this is before it was bought by ESPN. Um, so I was actually working with editors in Seattle, not Bristol. And I was doing that for a few years before ultimately I interviewed for and pushed for a job in um, the summer of 99, actually March of 99, because I covered Gonzaga up at that tournament in Seattle, the beginning of their run, and then re-interviewed again in September, actually in Connecticut. Um, but my first interview was actually in Seattle. Okay. <clears throat> and um, so do you live in Connecticut now, back near your, your home roots? Yes. I uh, moved here in, um, don't know how long we're going to stay with my son as senior in high school, but yeah, we moved here in uh, the fall of 99. Okay. Now, one of the things that you did with, with ESPN, it had to be, I don't know if you want to say big breaks, because that sounds like somebody gave you something. You earned it. But w- was teaming up with President Barack Obama on his selections for the NCAA tournament. Talk about how Barackatology happened. Yeah, I mean, I've shared the story many times. Um, you know, in the summer of 08, uh, actually the spring of 08, um, you know, I, I worked for Outside the Lines. Uh, sometimes a reporter, sometimes a backup host. And we were um, doing a story on basketball and the Obama family. Um, there was someone doing one on McCain and auto racing. And we followed the Obamas during the campaign. I was at the convention in, in, in Denver in 08. Uh, we interviewed everybody around them except for Obama until the, um, about 10 days before the election. Um, we waited till the, toward the end, he was going to be our last interview. And, uh, I interviewed him in, um, in a Hampton Inn in Dunn, North Carolina, um, before he was going to go speak at Fort Bragg. And that Sunday morning on meet the press, the late Colin Powell, 
um, endorsed Obama over McCain, which was a big deal at the time because of the military connection. Right. And I was interviewing Obama. They get word that this is happening on the television outside the room. And then his aides at the time, David Axelrod and Robert Gibbs, come in and said, we got to tweak the speech. Stay put. So they tell us to stay put. We're in this small conference room. And we're there probably like 40 minutes. We've already done the interview. And um, there's just the two of them, Secret Service and our small crew. And we just start talking about life and kids and everything. And at one point, I just had an epiphany. And I stood up and I said, Senator, I have a great idea. If you win, how about I come to the White House in March and do the bracket with you? Um, and he said, love it. And I pointed to, the, to Axelrod and Gibbs, said, you heard that? And uh, to their credit, um, they honored it when he won. Uh, I mean, there were so many other things that happened after that. I mean, I played right. in the basketball game in 08 and 12 that they do on election day, went to the inauguration, but they honored the bracket. We did obviously in March of 09. And then we, because trust me, CBS wanted to, to do it once they got wind of it because they were yeah. the broadcast partner, um, not ESPN. But we did it for eight years. Uh, every year it was a little dicey because it really hinged on world events. Um, you know, you know, it was it was something that we sort of held our breath as we got close to make sure yeah. nothing catastrophic <laughs> happened anywhere in the globe. Um, obviously, if there had been a pandemic, it wouldn't have happened. Um, so, you know, we lucked out in a way that we got all eight in and we did. And um, yeah, it was it, I wouldn't trade any of it. Uh, he was great. I knew when I walked out in 2016 that that was probably it, even though we the plan was to offer it to either Hillary or Trump. Um, and then we actually I actually did. Because uh, I was there one more year at ESPN, and uh, it was one of those things where, um, politics aside, I was hoping they would say no, and they did because they were like, "Oh, this is Obama's thing." Yeah, you know, this is early on. This is like the first couple months of of his administration. Just because I knew it wouldn't work, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you needed a connection, um, yeah. yeah, for it to work. Uh, you know, George Bush owned the Texas Rangers. You could easily do a baseball bracket. He loves baseball. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and actually, Bill Clinton loves hoops too. I mean, he was at the well, final four. Arkansas. New Jersey Generals. So, yeah. So, I mean, you you have to, you know, it, it has to make sense. Yeah. Not that a non basketball fan can't do it, but it would you wouldn't have the same yeah. back and forth. So it worked out. I thought that we were, you know, one president, and that was that. And it's it's interesting, Andy, because without getting into politics, whether whether you <clears throat> whether you like Obama or not, it was entertaining to see the president of the, of the United States doing the same thing we were all doing as filling out his brackets. And he was he was pretty knowledgeable. He did better than a lot of people with that. Who First of all, who came up with the name Baracketology, which is another brilliant suggestion? Yeah, you know, I, I can't remember. Um <laughs> I mean, it wasn't me, so I'm not going to take credit for it. Uh, you know, the, the idea to do the bracket was my idea, but the actual name, uh, I can't remember. It, it, it probably was either a producer or an editor that I feel bad that I can't remember who, you know, who termed that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't really care about what side of the political aisle you're on. Filling out a bracket 
with the sitting president of the United States has to be cool. Was it as much fun to actually do it as it was to think about doing it? Yeah, I mean, for a couple of reasons. A, um, I don't take for granted going to the White House. And I was very fortunate during those eight years. Yeah. I probably went like 12 times, maybe 14, because I went also when teams went. Um, and then I did a couple other things like a Title IX piece we did. Um, we did one on him coaching his daughters. So like I, I milked it, obviously, yeah. uh, but, you know, for, for pieces. But at the same yeah. time, um, so that's number one. Number two, you know, I was a history major. And so I love the history of the building. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, we were in the map room most of the time. And I just found all that so fascinating of what transpired in that, in that room during, yeah. you know, World War One, World War Two. Um, you know, just all of that, to me, was time that I will always cherish. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we always had like, probably about 20 minutes with him, which is a lot. Yeah. Uh, when we did the men's and the women's bracket, um, seven of the eight years we did it. The first year we only did the men. The last seven we did men and women. One of the years I did both. And the other years we had either Rebecca Lobo or Doris Burke. So, um, so that added more time. Yeah. Uh, which was good. And um, so all of it was incredibly positive. I mean, I have nothing negative to say at all. Do you consider him a friend today? I mean, I don't talk to him because, right. I, you know, it was never like that. Um, I would say if and when I see him again, I hope it is at some point, you know, he would be incredibly friendly to me and vice versa. I mean, we were always friendly. Uh, yeah. I don't have his cell phone number. Yeah. Um, you know, I have his, some of his people around him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, uh, definitely had a good relationship. No question about it. That's really cool. So what other out there ideas have you had during your career? I mean, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty gutsy one to ask the guy who's at that point leading in all the polls. So it's likely to be the president turns out to be the president to ask him to do a, a bracket show with you. <laughs> that's pretty gutsy. What other ideas have you had like that? Um. Well, I will say that like, much smaller scale but you know another thing i'm really proud of is when we used to do the show on espnu um my routine actually was i would go to the white house on on um well no first so selection sunday then on monday i would go to charlotte and we would film live show where i'd have 68 coaches and of the years we did it we got 68, I think, once. We got 66, 67. And it was like landing planes, you know, where <laughs> you just yeah. did two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, um, and trying to coordinate all that. But that was our, you know, my idea of, like, trying to get all the coaches um, to just comment real quickly on their first-round matchup and being in the tournament. And to this day, there's never been a show like that. Yeah. Uh, we pulled it off at ESPNU for – um, I want to say maybe four years. And then in the next day, I would then go to the White House. Or actually, usually I'd go Monday night uh, from Charlotte to D.C. So I was there ready to go Tuesday morning. And we always taped Tuesday. Um, you know, and then when we had the first four come into play, it kind of put us under the gun a little yeah. editing-wise because <clears throat> you try to turn it out as quick as possible. A lot of times it still debuted Wednesday morning, even though there had been a game Tuesday night. 
So um, <clears throat> what other ideas that haven't happened do you want to suggest to a producer somewhere with some network to say, here, here's another, hey, barocatology worked. Uh, so you should take my advice. What other fun ideas do you have? Um, well, I'll tell you another thing that I did do that I would love to rekindle at some point is I had a show um, called Capital Games on ESPN Radio. We had like one brief little time on Sirius with Rick Klein from ABC News. And it was this intersection podcast, radio show, whatever you want to call it at the time, of sports and politics. Mm. And when I left ESPN, the show no longer existed. And, um, you know, since then, obviously, oh my God, there's been so many things where that yeah. crisscrosses, uh, where you could, you know, I would love to bring something like that back. I mean, we're seeing this constantly, you know, whether it's, uh, and, and use the term politics loosely, it's not just political, it's basically news. Right. You know, I mean, um, so, I mean, whether it was what was going on with Colin Kaepernick or now what's happened with Kyrie Irving or anything going on where the two worlds connect. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a show that I enjoyed doing and because it feeds both of my passions in each side of my brain, the news part, the sports part. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, so what's you mentioned that going to uh, Hilton Coliseum in Ames, Iowa and Walton Arena in uh, Fayetteville. Besides going to other basketball arenas, what's on your bucket list? Well, as I said, I'm a tennis uh, fan, um, you know, and so is my son. So, um, you know, I, he's never been to Wimbledon as a fan. He's been just as a tourist. But so I'd like to I went when I was in college. I'd like to go back there. But, you know, there's two other Grand Slams at some point in my life. I'd love to go to the Australian Open and Roland Garros. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've been to the U.S. Open tons and enjoy that thoroughly. So uh, that's on my sports bucket list. Okay. Do you have a non-sports bucket list? Um, well, obviously, you know, when the kids are out of college, we're done with tuitions. There are certainly parts on the globe <laughs> yeah. that uh, I still want to tackle. Um, you know, the two, uh, I've still never been on a safari and I've never been to South America. So those are the continents that I'd like to, to visit at some point. All right. Uh, you talk about your son. Just talk about your family, uh, your wife, other kids. I don't know how many kids you have, but talk about yeah, your family. I met my wife, Denise, uh, in Albuquerque when I was working there. She was a journalist, actually, at the time, worked for the Associated Press and then became a social worker, which she is today. Uh, my daughter is a junior at Northwestern, Lucia, in theater. And my son, Sal, is a senior in high school. Uh, and so we don't know yet where he's going. All right. And then I always like to wrap up my podcast with this question and I get all kinds of answers, all kinds of even of interpretations of the question. So I'll state the question and then I'll give you my when, we're, when you're done, I'll give you my all time favorite answer to it. What is your legacy? Wow. Um, you know, I haven't thought about that because I still feel like I got a lot left in the tank. Um, but I think more than anything, um, you know, to me, I feel like I was one of the first people, and I know this to be true, where this is not egotistical. I know I was one of the first um, journalists, uh, certainly in the college basketball space, that crossed over from newspapers, 
to the digital TV side. Um, and I embraced the dot com, you know, in the late 90s mm-hmm. and have been running with it ever since. And then I've constantly evolved in, you know, being a one man band, as I like to say, whether it's, you know, audio, video, you know, constantly, uh, you know, uh, trying to get content in the digital space. Um, and it's unfortunate. A lot of my peers who are in my, you know, in my age group um, never caught on to how critical it is and was to use your phone, to use a camera of some sort to, um, you know, evolve past just the written word. Now the written word, I still is say is the base. You've got to be able to write yeah. because if you're doing television, you got to write what you're going to say. So I never want to run away from that because I think that's critical, but you've also got to be able to be a triple threat, excuse me, a triple threat. Yeah. You know, I think you've got to be able to write, speak in front of a camera or audio uh, and to some degree produce it. Um, And if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And so to me, you know, I look at a legacy as being one of the first to really embrace all of that decades ago, because had I not, I would not be where I am today. Yeah. That's a great answer. I've had a lot of people answer it from a professional standpoint. I've had people answer it from a personal standpoint. I want to be first known as a, as a good dad, a good husband, stuff like that. My all-time favorite answer was Chiefs uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame linebacker Bobby Bell, who said, I just want to live my life so the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral. <laughs> All right, well, Andy, it's always good to catch up with you. I look forward to seeing you at college basketball arenas around the Midwest, at least in the coming months, and, and hopefully in Houston at the Final Four. All right, thanks, Ed. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.